has existed longer than any other. It's the most ancient one, Father. Now that earthly relationship is very important to understand because it's supposed to prepare us for our eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. No pressure, dads. It's almost as if our earthly fathers put on kind of a, a costume in our hearts and, Lord willing, when we actually meet God himself, we see that they were similar in some ways and our transition is fairly natural as we look to our eternal father as the one we want to please, the one we trust, and the one we depend on. Now, no earthly father does a perfect job at preparing his children for this transition, though many try valiantly. Our enemy is at work, and he begins to trick us into this deception that says our heavenly father is only as good as our earthly father, which isn't true. He is so much better. But if we begin to look or expect our eternal father to be measurable by temporal human examples, we will, of course, be disappointed. How could we not be? But our Heavenly Father is not disappointed in us for believing things that aren't true. He's not impatient with us to grow up. He's not annoyed by our quirks or questions. And he's not threatened by our ultimatums. Good thing. <laughs> he is not going to disown us for being different than we think he wants us to be. He's not. He is so much bigger than we ever give him credit for being. Our father is so good to us that he can even take our earthly father examples and use them to help us understand him better. And even when we can't understand, our father helps us to trust him to believe him and to follow him no matter what. He's not limited by our experiences with our earthly fathers. He's writing their story as well as writing ours. He writes them all together. He gives us just what we need to overcome what our sin, our enemy, and our humanness put in our way. So, if you have a fairly decent earthly father, be thankful for the good things you've learned from him. Your heavenly father is better. If you have a disappointing, absent, or even downright abusive earthly father, understand that your heavenly father hates the evil others have done to you. He is more angry at it than you are. And he wants you healed more than you do. But no matter your earthly father experience, our heavenly father intentionally uses earthly fathers to create children and families in order to prepare us for eternal life with one another as he prepares a place for us. So in preparation for this sermon, I decided to look in the Bible and just look up the word father and see what I found. I found over 1,300 uses of father in the Bible. 200 in Genesis alone. 19 
in Genesis 5 and 29 in Genesis 11. Seems like it's pretty important. So I'm going to go through the Bible and all the different definitions of father, uses of father. See if you find your own dad in here somewhere. To go to your fathers means to die. In Genesis, it talks about a man leaving his father and mother. Abram, leave your father's house. Leave the land of your father. The God of my father is a phrase often used. Young widows lived in their father's house. God promised to make Abram the father of many nations and that through him all nations would be blessed. There was a blessing on Ishmael due to his father Abram's prayer. Isaac, as a father, gave a blessing. Jacob renamed his son Ben-Oni. Don't remember ever hearing of Ben-Oni. This is why. His wife named him son of my sorrow because she died giving birth to him. Jacob says, you are not wearing that albatross the rest of your life. I'm calling you son of my right hand, Ben-Yamin, what we call Benjamin. Jacob takes a good chapter near the end of Genesis to bless all of his sons, particularly Joseph. In the other four books of Moses, father is used 150 times. Exodus 20.12 is familiar. Honor your father and mother. No cursing or striking of father and mother is allowed. It's punishable by death. Exodus 22.22, you must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Improper sexual relations were forbidden with the understanding that it could shame not just the participants, but the father of the participants involved. The children of Israel were admonished to confess not just their own sin, but the sins of their fathers. The covenant and the promise that God swore to the Israelites was also to their fathers. There are repeated admonitions to protect the fatherless. When children ask their fathers, what does this mean? Fathers are to explain it. There's another instance of renaming. Story of Gideon. Remember what Gideon did? He tore down a, an, an idol one night after God told him to. He did it at night so that nobody would see him doing it. But, of course, the next day everybody could tell. Somehow they knew it was him. I'm not sure how that worked out. But they go to his father, don't they? Say, bring him out. Stop protecting him. We're going to kill him because he's destroyed the, the idol. And his dad says, Baal of God, can't he defend himself? And, of course, Gideon's name gets changed. Judges 14, Samson's father arranges marriages for Samson. Yes, more than one. Ruth's genealogy is built on the very important relationship of father to son. 1 Samuel uses father as a term of respect for one of higher authority. And a man's clan and set of relatives carried the identity of their ancestral male founder. They were even buried in their father's tombs in 2 Samuel 17. In the book of Ezra, Jehovah is called the God of our fathers, repeatedly. In Job, those abandoned and helpless are called fatherless. 
and fathered. Fathering is equated with mentoring, with providing for, and for raising the young to maturity. Psalm 68.5 declares that God is a father to the fatherless. In Psalm 78, it records that God commands fathers to teach their children. In several books, the guilt, stubbornness, and iniquity of the fathers of Israel are mentioned as motivations to repent before the Lord. In Proverbs, a father's discipline, commands, and instruction are to be heeded so that fathers may have joy and reassurance from the wisdom their children display rather than grief, bitterness, ruin, humiliation, and sorrow from their children's folly. Throughout the prophets, fathers are held up both as examples to follow and standards of both good and bad behavior to measure the behavior of the prophet's community. In Zechariah 13, false prophets are to be executed by both parents. In Malachi, God demands to know why, if God is a father, his priests do not honor him. Malachi 4.6, God promises that Elijah the prophet will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers before the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's the Old Testament. In the Gospels alone, father is used over 250 times, almost half entirely in the Gospel of John. Jesus gets on the Jews for trusting Abraham's identity as their father to justify themselves. The disciples James and John leave their father and his boats and nets to follow Jesus instead. In Luke, Jesus corrects his mother when she says his father has also been worried about his whereabouts. Jesus says he must naturally be about his father's business in his father's house, not Joseph's. But he does remain subject to both parents as he grows into adulthood. Jesus admonishes us to reflect our Heavenly Father in our behavior in Matthew 5 and informs us in chapter 6 several times that our Heavenly Father will reward us for our actions. According to the Gospels, our Father knows what we need before we ask, forgives us as we forgive others, sees all things in secret, takes care of the animals and plants, and is eager to give us good things. As the Gospels continue, we hear that the Father's glory is greater than the Son's, that the Father's will is more important to the Son than his own. It is the Father alone who knows the day and the hour of Christ's return. And it is the Father whose wrath some will not escape. It is the Father with the Son who prepares things for us in the next life. And the relationship between Father and Son is only known truly by the two of them, unless the Son reveals more to us. The parable of the prodigal son reveals the Father's deep desire for both sons to be in fellowship with him and each other. And in Gethsemane, Father, not my will but yours. And on the cross, Father, forgive them. Behold your son, behold your mother. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. The father seeks such people to worship him, he tells the woman at the well. My father is still working and I am working also. 
The son only does what he sees the father doing. The father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. Just as the father, so the son. It's a phrase that comes up in John quite a bit. The father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son. To obey, honor, and believe in the Son is to obey, honor, and believe in the Father who sent him. The Father has set his seal of approval on the Son. The Father is well pleased with the Son. The Father wants the disciples to listen most to the Son. The Father gives, grants, and draws followers to the Son. Everyone who has listened to the Father and learned from him comes to the Son. Only the Son has seen the Father, but if you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father. If we know the Son, we will also know the Father. The Son lives because of the Father and is empowered to grant that same life to others. We and the Son imitate the one we worship as Father. The Father commanded the Son to lay down his life and to take it up again. No one can snatch anyone out of the Father's hand. The Father is greater than all. I love that. The Father commands what the Son speaks, but has given everything into the Son's hands. The Father sends the Holy Spirit. The Son loves as his Father loves, and the Father himself loves us, so that there is no need to ask anyone to be our representative to the Father. The Father is with the Son, even when all others leave him. As the Son is one with the Father, so they desire for us to be one with them and with each other. The Father has his own authority. The Father's glory raised the Son from the dead. We call him Father by the spirit of adoption. One God and Father of all. In letters to the churches, we're admonished as fathers not to stir up anger in our children, but to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord in Ephesians 6.4. Colossians 3.21 echoes this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Exhort older men as fathers. Submit to the discipline of the father as to earthly fathers. We have fellowship with the Father and the Son. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I have written to you fathers, says John, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. Look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And many epistles begin with the mention of thanks to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm getting the sense that this relationship is somewhat important. This is a lot of content on the relationship of father. And I think it's important because of what was mentioned before, that this is, this is our, first, our first interaction with this relationship of father, with our earthly fathers. So earthly fathers need to have some kind of idea what kind of interaction that should be. And we should have some idea of what it will be like to be with our Heavenly Father from our interaction with our earthly fathers. God's really good to give us 
sort of basic examples here in this life to give us something to relate our, our spiritual life to. And this is, I think, probably the most important. If you begin to understand how to relate to your earthly father, you're going to do some of the same kind of relating to your heavenly father. So after all these scriptures, let's think inductively. Looking at all these, what, what do we learn from all this? What themes do we see running through here? One of them I saw was that fathers love by sacrifice. Not just physical sacrifice, not just earning the money, not just protecting, but also with sacrifices of time, sacrifices of wisdom. I can't think of a father I know who's not eager to share something they've learned with their children. They didn't get that learning for free. In fact, most of us <laughs> had to pay something for it. When I injured my hand from a table saw, not actually from the saw itself, but from something the saw shot across the room that sliced the back of my hand, I went to the emergency room, got stitched up and everything, and had a big bandage. And we happened to be going to house church that night. And I walked in with the bandage, and of course everybody's like, oh, what happened to you? And well doing some home improvement, and, and I didn't get any further because as soon as I did, every dad in the room was like, oh, let me show you. <laughs> We've all got them, don't we? Anybody who's done home improvement for longer than a day or two probably has some mark somewhere from when they were maybe not as uh, careful as, <laughs> as they should have been. Fathers loved by sacrifice. Our Heavenly Father sacrificed ultimately for us because he sacrificed his son. No one is closer to God the Father than the Son. And he sacrificed him because he loved us that much. Wow. Recently I watched one of my sons deal with what was at the time, a pretty hard blow. My son had done all he could do about it, but it wasn't enough to prevent a major loss. And it was realized suddenly, after the fact, and there was nothing any of us could do. There was nothing I could do to help but pray, and I did. But I also grieved at the loss of so much that my son had invested, time, effort, and heart. And I grieved at the potential long-term consequences of what would happen if this step fall, um, fell short. But again, I had no way to help. All I could do was watch and pray. I would have done almost anything to help him in that moment because I believe in him and I love him. I'm proud of who my son has become and what he had done that seemed to be lost. I was proud of the way he handled the loss, especially the fact that it was so sudden. Bad surprises are the worst. Now, if I didn't love my son so much, I wouldn't care so much, it wouldn't hurt so much. I wouldn't have been so desperately willing to go to great lengths to make sure he was okay. And I began to see dimly, partially, faintly, how much our Heavenly Father loved his son and how deeply his heart feels for each of us. 
how much we matter to him, apart from all that we do or don't do. My son matters to me because he's mine. No other reasons necessary. If he had never done anything good or always seemed to be making the wrong decision, I would still love him. He's not that way, thankfully. But even though he's not perfect, I can't imagine loving him more than I do. Is it not the best news ever to understand that our Heavenly Father loves us the same way, only even more, even in our weakness, even perhaps because of our weaknesses? The second theme that I saw running through these scriptures was that fathers are to help their children see beyond themselves. Yes, you're special, just like everyone else. <laughs> In all three synoptic gospels, there's the story of the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and then with perfume. Do you see this woman? Jesus asked. And then he describes all that she's just done to him and for him, none of which were offered by the host to whom he is speaking. All that the host saw was the woman's past. Jesus saw that too. Nothing escapes him. But he's not just interested in our resume. He's interested in us. Do you see this woman? I do, he seems to say. I see all of her, past, present, and future. I see her heart. I see her struggles, her sacrifices, her presence here with me at great risk to herself. Do you see this woman? Not really. But I see her, and I see you. And I tell you this to bless you both. Fathers are to help their children see past themselves. And even past other people's faults to their needs. That's what experience is for. I greatly value and am grateful for my own parents helping me in this regard. When I would have a hard time with something, they would help me see that this is, this is not your whole life. This is a little bitty slice a much larger thing. This is not going to last forever. You know, when, it, when you're young, it's hard to think that way. It feels like the way you feel right now is the way it's always been, the way it's always going to be, and it's just not true. But it doesn't feel that way. It feels true. One of our jobs as fathers is to help our kids take a bigger view, give them a broader perspective, Maybe tell them stories about our childhood when we needed the same kind of help. A third theme that I saw is that the father-child relationship is a two-way street and it involves some serious responsibility. Fathers are responsible for naming their children throughout scripture. In some cases, changing the name. God changed Abram's name. Jacob changed Benoni's name. Gideon's name was changed because of something his father said. Fathers are responsible to care for, train up, affirm, and not frustrate 
their children. Sometimes that's a little different. <laughs> We've all gotten mad with our kids, haven't we? It wasn't until I became a parent that I started to understand some of these scriptures about how God loves his children and is going to wipe them off the face of the earth. I'm like, that. But then when I had kids, I'm like, felt that way several times. <laughs> I love you. And I'm sure I've done that to my parents. I can still feel the spankings. But a father's name and reputation are given to the children. They've got to walk with that. Fathers, we should take that seriously. Children are responsible to obey, reflect, and honor their fathers. Because a father's influence and legacy are affected by his children's behavior toward him. And children ought to take that seriously. So the father loves by sacrifice, helps their children see beyond themselves, and both fathers and children have some serious responsibilities in their relationship. Children, sow good seeds with your fathers so that when you are the fathers, your children will bear, will bear good fruit. Fathers, keep fathering, even if you have made mistakes or failed dramatically thus far. There are many of us who need to see that fathering can still be done. Many who need to see that it does indeed still go on and can be a good thing. And there are many who need their picture of fathering to be redeemed from the neglect or abuse or both that is all they have ever known from their fathers. You can be the reflection of a heavenly father no matter what you have been before. Now, because no father is perfect, we all have regrets. We all wish we had spent more time with our kids. We all wish we had acted better when they were watching. We all wish we could have printed inside their minds all those hard lessons that we learned so they can have them always. But none of us was perfectly trained or destined to behave perfectly. So we make mistakes, we sin, we cause harm instead of the good we desire. As such, it is important for us as children to be as kind and forgiving to our fathers as we are able, whether by neglect, abuse, or mere humanness, our fathers have probably wounded us all in some way. But the way to healing is not in resentment and bitterness, nor is it in neglect and forgetting. It is in forgiveness. And that's vital because we will all be guilty of the same kinds of sins before we die. Most of us are already guilty of both abuse and neglect towards someone, even towards our own selves. We will all wish we had done better. And our Heavenly Father requires us to forgive others if we are ever to find the forgiveness that we all need. When our father disappointed or wronged us, we often were only focused on ourselves and did not see what our fathers were battling. 
Fathers carry more responsibility and pressures than they usually ever let on. As fathers, we're called to imitate no less than God himself. And though we are part of the church, the bride, we most often identify with the groom, Jesus Christ, who showed his love through suffering, that he might display the radiance of the church he loved so much. Did Jesus ever complain about how he felt? Did Jesus ever get short-tempered? Did Jesus neglect or abuse anyone? And then there's us. We have an impossible standard to meet, and we feel as though we have to do it all on our own, or we are weaklings. But it is not so. The son cried out to his father often. So can we. Jesus confided in his disciples even when they didn't understand. He humbled himself in front of them, even as they correctly called him Lord and Master. We, too, can be humble in front of our children, even if they don't understand. We don't have to pretend, but we do have to act. For action is how our Father expresses himself through us. And he is in charge of the timing and the results and the understanding of our children. For they belong to him even more than they belong to us. I encourage you children, that would be everyone, to learn your father's story as it is connected to your own. Remember that his upbringing was out of his control, just as your upbringing is. We may have cause to complain or even mourn what our fathers have done or not done enough of, but none of us can truly understand what they had to overcome in order to be who they were and are. Let us be gracious as much as we are able, for the day will come when a young one will look at us as we look at our fathers, and they will have to deal with our sinful humanness as we have had to deal with our fathers. Fathers, it is our job to do the best we can with what we were given, but also to strive to be better equipped. There are more resources now than ever before on godly parenting. There are more paths to healing and understanding now than our parents ever knew. Let us begin to learn and grow as fathers, seeking to imitate our Heavenly Father in all things. Our children need us to reflect God as well as we can so that they will hopefully feel welcome in his presence as they feel welcome in our own. That is why God gave us them, so that by knowing us first, they may know him at last. And we will fall short, hard as we try. Our kids will decide they like a different baseball team or a different kind of music or a different profession or a different haircut. That's okay. That's okay. God made them to be like us, not to be us. They have a different path, and they make up their own minds. God does not hold us responsible for their decisions any more than he holds them responsible for our decisions. We each stand before the Lord with no excuses, in need of him and his forgiveness. Let us extend to ourselves, to our children, and to our fathers that same gracious kindness that we want so much from God our Father, who is in heaven, whose name is holy, 
whose kingdom we want to come and whose will we want to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That same God who gives each of us our daily bread and forgives us as we forgive others, who does not lead us into evil, but delivers us from it, to whom belong the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.